couple things about Boost. One, when Brooke and Sarah talk at Boost, their words come out the same time their mouths move. It's, it's an amazing <laughs> thing. That's really great. Uh, the other thing, Cindy and I did Boost last summer, and uh, it was just really helpful. Um, so kind of the flow of the night, there'll be some, you come together, there's a some, little bit of mixer time, but then uh, there's some content that Brooke and Sarah will share. They share real vulnerably, open and fun. And, um, and then typically, if I remember right, kind of a little assignment for your spouse, or if you're engaged, you know, time to process together, and then some time, you're in a group that you process together as well, and you don't have to share beyond anything you're comfortable with, but uh, I think for us, the thing, like sometimes we just lose uh, intentionality in your marriage, and, and so this, this, this the, the content, and just being able to come and have these conversations, and, and over the topics, uh, we just found it very helpful to, to kind of help us reconnect, so yeah, if you're thinking about it, we would commend it to you. It starts uh, not this Thursday, but the next Thursday. It runs for three weeks and has a little break, and then there's three more weeks. Um, you do need to sign up, and so the best place, go to our website. There's a button right on the front that says Boost, and you can, can sign up there if, like, technology's frustrating, just pull out one of the connection cards, write Boost on it, and we'll get you a link to, to get, get signed up. But uh, it'll be well worth uh, your time to, to do that this summer. I wanted to mention also the, the parent, grandparenting thing. It's called Grandparenting Matters, and uh, it's, uh, how many weeks are you all going to meet? Yeah. Six, eight weeks, something like that. Um, I was at a funeral a few weeks ago, and uh, two of the grandchildren of the gentleman who had died, got up and talked about the impact of that man in their life. And it was just so obvious, the, the impact of a grandparent and a grandchild. And so that's the heart of this class is the, the influence that you can have spiritually in the life of your grandchildren. So again, if that's where you're at and wanting to process that with some people, that would be a great thing to do. It starts today in the, uh, the commons. We want to read the passage today. If you're able to stand, I want to read... Um, Colossians 2, 1 through 7. Paul writes, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have in your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love, and that they would attain to all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. For even though I am absent in body, I am nevertheless with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your orderly manner and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. This is God's word. You may be seated. Well, for a lot of years, I have had an interest in learning to draw, but I've never done much about it. But about maybe eight years ago, I bought a sketch pad and some pencils. I just the idea of kind of drawing sketches, that kind of thing was always kind of an interest to me. So I started kind of monkeying around with that. But uh, Six years ago, on my, the summer I had a sabbatical, I decided, you know, I kind of wanted to get serious, kind of wanted to learn, wanted to begin to be a little bit better at it. So uh, someone actually had recommended a book called Drawing on the Right Side of the Brain. Some of you who've 
Dunart probably have read that book, but I uh, found it very helpful, so I started working through the, the exercises and, and uh, the practices that they, they teach during my sabbatical. After my sabbatical, on my days off, I would, would kind of continue to do that, and, and I, I found that in, enjoyable. And so six years ago, I, I kind of got serious about it. I got exposed to some good material that was helpful, and it helped me develop my skills and, and uh Put in, and I began to put into practice that information that I had received in kind of a regular and consistent way. And even though I'm not necessarily very good at it, I found it life-giving to just sort of get lost in, in doing art. Well, over time, I got distracted. My attention got pulled away to other things. And uh, probably actually got bored sometimes with the hard work of learning a new skill. And uh, eventually, I stopped. And so it's probably been two or three years now since I've uh, pulled out the sketch pad and and have drawn anything. Sometimes I think we can experience a similar kind of thing in our relationship with Jesus. We're introduced to him. We make a good start. We're presented with the content, the message of his life, death, and resurrection on our behalf. And, and, And we receive him. We trust him. And we begin this practice of a daily walk and a daily pursuit of growing in him. We find it life-giving to do so. Of course we do. We find it life-giving. But over time, sometimes we can get distracted. We can find our attention getting pulled away to other things. And honestly, sometimes we maybe get a little bored with the hard work of a daily walk with Jesus. And unfortunately, we can sort of sometimes set him aside in our life. And we stop walking with him in a daily way. This is Paul's concern as we come to the passage that we're looking at today, Colossians 2, 1 through 7. In this passage, uh, Paul is uh, he's addressing the issue of making a start in Christ, but, but then he's wanting the, the Colossians and us to not just start, but to continue to have a daily, consistent walk in him. And it's kind of a big picture thing he's describing today, walk in Christ, walk in Christ. And, and what I'd love for all of us to do today as we, we look at this is just kind of before God, open up our hearts and, and be honest. God, where am I at? Am I walking with you? Am I pursuing a daily, consistent walk with you? Let God sort of search your heart as we we walk through this today. Am I walking with you, Jesus? Or am am I, if I'm honest, have I kind of been drawn away and have I become distracted by other things? That's really the point of this passage today. And so I'm going to start by looking in 2, 1 through 5, where Paul continues to describe his ministry. He started this back up in chapter 1, verse 24. But in these first Five verses, Paul communicates his heart that the Colossians would stay centered on Christ. Centered on Christ. Let me read verse 1 again. It says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have in your behalf, and for those who are at Laodicea, and for all those who have not personally seen my faith, my face. And so, 124 through 25 is kind of a section where Paul's describing his ministry. Those last verses in chapter 1, he's describing his ministry more generally on behalf of the Gentile world. He had this calling to see the gospel go to all the Gentiles. But as he comes to 2, 1 through 5, he's really just talking about his struggle for the Colossians, for, for, uh, for, for them, as well as, he says, the church at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen his face. So he's talking about the Colossi, Laodicea, and in that area, that part of the world, he's describing his personal struggle for them. He wants them to know that though they had not met him, He is struggling and working 
for their behalf. And that, that struggle, I mean, it, he's in prison. So, I mean, part of the struggle is the fact that in his ministry that he's ended up there. But I think his struggle would be his prayers for them, his, his concern for them, um, the emotional burden that he carries for them, uh, this letter that he's writing for them. All of those are part of his struggle on their behalf. He goes on in verse 2 to say the purpose of his struggle is that, that their hearts would be encouraged, that their hearts would be encouraged. He says, having been knit together in love and that they would attain to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is Christ. And so he wants their hearts encouraged. He wants them to arrive at a place where they have this kind of uh, assurance of understanding, a true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. He didn't want them to be walking around in, in confusion and uncertainty about these things. He wants them to have true knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Now, when we think about him wanting to have their hearts encouraged, when we use language like that in our world, we primarily are thinking about something emotional, right? I mean, when, when my heart's encouraged, I'm thinking I, kind of emotionally, I've been lifted up and and and. That's part of what he's talking about here, but, but it has more than that. Because in, when Paul's writing in this biblical time, a heart was the center of a person's personality. And so the heart was a source of thinking and willing. And, and so to have one's heart encouraged means to have your, your beliefs strengthened, your convictions deepened, as well as emotions lifted. It's, it's all of that. Paul says he wants their hearts encouraged and he says that kind of encouragement is connected to unity. Notice what he says, that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love. And that knit together, that's, that's talking about unity there. It's talking about being together in love. Later in chapter 219, he'll talk about the body. And, and in other words, the church, when the, when the body, the, the church functions well together, it, it builds itself up. And, and love is kind of the context of that. It's the, the kind of the the environment that needs to be in place for that to happen well. And so Paul struggles on behalf of the Colossians that they might come to this place where they have this confidence in what they know. And he says, that, and it's about knowledge of Christ, verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Remember the context of the letter. There, there are false teachers seeking to pull the Colossians away, seeking to distract them from Christ. They, they're putting forward other ways of wisdom and knowledge through their doctrine, through their practices. But Paul's point here is, in Christ, you have everything. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Wisdom is about the ability to, to, to understand reality from God's perspective and then live in that reality. Uh, knowledge probably has more of an intellectual bent, but, but the heart of it is just seeing, seeing things from God's perspective and, and living according to that. And Paul says all of that is found in Christ. It's all found in Christ. All treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Him. Now, when he uses this language of treasures, I think he's probably kind of connecting to Old Testament wisdom literature. Read Proverbs 2 sometimes, maybe this week, and uh, it, I think this, this, this verse is all over what he's talking about in, in, in Proverbs 2. If you're familiar with Proverbs, that's, you know, the father is instructing the son in, in how he should live, how he should live with wisdom, and, and he actually uses the language in Proverbs 2, 4, and he calls it hidden treasure. And Paul's saying, that's Christ. 
Uh, Christ is the wisdom that Proverbs 2 talks about. In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You have everything in Christ. There's nowhere to, you don't need to go anywhere else, Colossians, or us, for, for understanding God's will, for understanding God's plan. We have everything in Christ. That's what Paul is encouraging. That's what he wants the Colossians to understand. And he wants to understand this to guard them against false teachers. He says in verse 4, I say this, I say what I say, so that no one will deceive you with persuasive arguments. The NIV calls them fine-sounding arguments. This is Paul's first warning about the false teachers. They were trying to persuade them away from Christ. And uh, this, this verse, if you just go a few verses later in 2.9, he's going to talk about false teachers trying to take them captive through philosophy and empty deception. So he's beginning a warning here. He's going to press into that more as, uh, as we look, go on in, in this letter. And so their arguments at some level sound convincing. Um, persuasive arguments in and of itself, it's, it's kind of a neutral term, but clearly it's a negative thing here. And so these false teachers, though, they were putting forward things that seemed to make some sense. They, they, they were kind of fine-sounding, and yet they were deceptive. They were wrong. They would lead away from Christ. <laughs> And so far, Paul's encouraged by what he sees in the Colossians. In verse 5, he says, For even though I'm absent in body, I'm nevertheless with you in spirit, and I'm rejoicing to see your orderly manner and the stability of your faith in Christ. He would love to be there personally. He would love to be there confronting the false teachers in person, but Paul's in jail. Paul's in prison. He can't be there. It's not possible. He's not there physically, but he says, I am with you in spirit. God had given Paul authority as an apostle. And so through the spirit, through prayer, through concern, through this letter, he is with them in spirit. And he speaks with apostolic authority as if he was there. I'm with you in spirit. I'm speaking with authority through this letter. And certainly he has concern about the false teachers. But as, as you look at what he writes here, I think his concern is more about the future in the present, because he says, I rejoice to see your orderly manner and the stability of your faith in Christ. Right now, they were doing well. They were staying centered on Christ. How are we doing? Are we centered on Christ? What would Paul say to us if he had a chance to kind of understand the, the nature of things here about faith, about us? What would he write? What would he say? I think in many ways, Paul would say similar things. I think he would find much to be encouraged about here. But I think he would also issue the same warnings, right? About deceptive messages that can seek to pull us away from truly being centered on Christ. We live in a world where there's countless teachers and messages and blogs and books, websites that offer alternative arguments about truth and reality and how you really can find life that sound plausible, but they draw away from Christ. And so I think the warning, it's, it's for us today. If we're going to avoid this drift away from Christ, we need to stay centered on the one in whom are found all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I think this passage suggests two ways that we stay centered on him. I think first and foremost, we stay centered on Christ as we're in the scriptures, as we're in the word of God. I think that's, I mean, Paul is writing scripture. 
to help them stay centered on Christ. And so it's through Scripture that, that God reveals Christ to us. It's through God's Word that, that our understanding of Christ, the wisdom and knowledge revealed in Christ, it's through Scripture that our understanding of that is deepened and understood. It's through Scripture that, that our minds are shaped and fashioned to walk in wisdom, to see reality from God's perspective. So we need to be in the Scriptures. And, and here's the thing. It, it's good that you're here. It's good that you're joining us online. But we need more than 25 minutes. We need more than a 25-minute sermon throughout the week, right? That, that's good. That's helpful. What we really need, though, is a daily practice of personally coming to the God's Word and being in God's Word for ourselves. That's what forms our mind. That's what shapes us. So we need this time, but we need this daily rhythm of coming to God's Word for ourselves. And so if, if that's not part of your practice, let me encourage you to start because that will help you stay centered on Christ. That will form your mind. And if you have no idea what to do, uh, what I'm doing this summer, I'm just reading and rereading the book of Colossians. You could take a chapter a day and just keep rereading it. Um, I thought I might get bored with that, but really, the more you kind of sink into it, God shows you stuff and he deepens stuff. God's word is living and active. So that could be a great place to start. Just start reading chapter in Colossians every day and keep working through it. And so we have, to, we have to be in God's word, but I also believe that we need to do it with God's people. We need to be with God's people. He says, having your hearts encouraged, having been knit together in love, right? And so there's something about the, the body of Christ or something about doing this together that is really, really important. The danger of being led astray by fine-sounding arguments, the danger of being deceived and led astray is far greater if you're disconnected relationally from the body of Christ. So much greater. But see, when we're connected like we should be, when we're in relationship, when we have some spiritual friends that, that, we're, that we're maybe in a Bible study with, we're studying the Scriptures with, we're talking about the Scriptures, we're talking about how we're living and things we're thinking, when we pray for each other, when, we encourage, when we're encouraging each other, then that helps us stay centered on Christ. That helps the mind of Christ be formed in us. Do you have those kinds of relationships? Honestly, I think one of the, the most detrimental things of COVID is I think it has separated us in so many ways from some of the connections that we've had. We need to be in these kind of relationships. And obviously, you can't know everyone in this room but, but you need three, four, five, or six of these kind of people in your life that you're going to pray for, you're going to encourage and that they're going to do that for you. This is why we do things like Rooted. This is why we have life groups. We want to help foster this kind of connection because they help us stay centered on Christ. We need the scriptures. But we need to be in the scriptures with others. This helps us stay centered on Christ. I think there's more, but, but these are a couple of things that I see in this passage. As Paul goes on, as we come to verses 6 and 7, he, he urges the Colossians, he urges us to keep walking in Christ. Keep walking in Christ. Look at verse 6. He says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. When I was in college, this is how this verse was taught to me. Maybe this was true for you as well. Verses read, I was asked, how did you receive Christ? Uh, by faith. Well, then, how are you going to walk in him? Well, by faith, yes. And, and that's true. I mean, that is a biblical thing. But Paul is saying more than that here. 
He's saying a lot more than that here. When he says, therefore, he's, he's, this is flowing out as, as kind of a conclusion to what he's been saying. And one way to summarize what he has been saying up to this point is that Jesus is Lord, right? We just recited that passage, that magnificent passage of the supremacy of Christ. That's who he is. The gospel that the Colossians had heard from Epaphras had declared this truth about Christ. They had received this true message about Christ. And so keep walking in that true message. And so Paul's not primarily focusing on a personal decision of faith to accept Jesus into one's heart. He's focusing on the fact that the Colossians had been communicated this true message about Christ and his lordship. They had received it and they had believed it. And having received and believed that message, keep walking in light of it. Now, is it a response of faith? Yes. I mean, that part is true. But it's more than that. It's about the the message of who Christ is. That's what he's saying. Keep walking in that. This is the first command in this letter. And really, it's, it's, it's like the summary command of the whole book. This, in fact, this passage is right at the heart of the argument of the whole book. It's present tense, and so it's an ongoing daily thing that he's talking about. He's urging the Colossians to live lives that are consistent with their confession about Christ as the Messiah and Lord. Walk daily in light of that truth. As he goes on in verse 7, he, he fleshes out what that looks like. He says, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And so walking in Jesus starts by being firmly rooted in him. And he's saying they had been firmly rooted. That, that happened when they heard the message, when they believed. They, they, they already were firmly rooted in the truth about Jesus. And so having been firmly rooted, now he says you're being built up in him, which is present tense, ongoing. This is an ongoing thing. It's a metaphor from the world of construction. And uh, Paul, as I mentioned before, he, he teaches about how believers, when we, we, when we come to faith in Christ, we're incorporated into the, the body of Christ. And one of the metaphors for the body of Christ is a building that builds up. It builds itself up in, in love. And so you're firmly rooted. Now you're being built up. And he says, next, established in your faith. Some translations say in your faith. Some say in the faith. In other words, you're being established in your personal faith about Jesus or established in the content about the faith in Jesus. I think probably the second way makes the most sense. Both are possible. But the fact that he says, just as you were instructed, seems to confirm taking it in the sense that you've been established in the faith, this true message about Jesus. Finally, he says, overflowing with gratitude. And, and thanksgiving is part of how they would continue to walk in Jesus, regardless of what life brings, whatever, regardless of what difficulties life brings. Through the act of thanksgiving, they, they stay rightly related to a, a sovereign God. It's an expression of trust, like he's leading and guiding regardless of what life brings. Keep walking in Jesus. That's his message. Just as you received the true message about Jesus as Lord, keep walking in light of that truth. That's the point. That's the, the heart of the whole letter. He's going to go on as we move for, through this, and he's going to talk about specific areas of what walking in Jesus is going to look like. But right now, he's just giving a big picture command. Just as you received him, so walk in him. And so, with Paul giving a big picture command, I want to just give us a big picture question to ponder. 
And that is, are you walking in Jesus? Consistently, daily, regularly. If you've received Jesus, are you walking with him regularly, daily? Are you living in light of the truth that he is the Messiah? He's the Lord. Are you living in light of that truth? Are you allowing how you think and act to be governed by the supremacy of Christ? Again, as we continue to make our way through the study of Colossians, Paul's going to address a number of areas of life that we need to bring under the lordship of Christ. And so we're going to think about this in a real specific way. But for now, just think about this big picture question. Are you walking with Jesus daily, consistently as your Lord? Today we're celebrating communion. Let me encourage you as we, we, we reflect on the death of Christ, the body broken and the blood shed uh, let me encourage you to, to ponder this question. In the eating and the drinking, we're reminded that his body was broken for us, his blood was shed, that we might be forgiven, that we might be redeemed, that we might find new life in him. He paid the penalty that we could not pay for our sin. And so in this time, my encouragement is to, as you reflect on the death of Christ, open your heart up to God during this time. Allow him to search you. Allow him to to help you think about this question. Am I walking in a daily way with the one who died for me? Am I walking in a daily way with the one who is Lord, who, who gave everything for me? Am I walking in a daily one who loves me so much that he gave everything for me? Ponder that question. Some of you this morning, as you think about this question, I mean, you can answer it with a resounding yes. I mean, you know you're not perfect. You know you still struggle. You know there's still sin. But it is the, it is the, the inclination of your heart to walk in a daily consistent way. And that's, that's, the, that's what you love to do. That's what you long to do. That's what you're trying to do. If that's where you are, praise God for that. It's, an act of, it's, it's a demonstration of God's grace in your life. And so my encouragement to you would be just pray, God, just help me continue on this path, on this journey. Because there's never a guarantee, right? We can be deceived and be led to focus on other things. But right now, if that's where you are, thank God. Others of you, you know that if you're really honest, you'd have to say you are not centered on Christ. There's a little bit of Jesus here and there, but the reality of walking daily with him, letting the, that Christ shape how you think and live, if you're honest, you'd have to say, that's not really where I'm at. If so, I mean, when we come to the Lord's table, part of what we do here is confess, right, where we come up short. And so confess that reality to him in these moments. He forgives you. But part of what we can do as we think about the Lord's table is we can re remember how much he loves us, how much he's done for us. So it can be really hard just to, to command your heart, you know, self, walk with Jesus daily. It's hard to just do that. What does it is, is when we respond to the grace and mercy in our life. And so I think if you're struggling to walk with Jesus, again, it's, we need to ask God, God, help me really get who Jesus is. God, help me really get how much you love me. God, help me get how you demonstrated that through the death and resurrection of Christ. See, when we're captivated by that, and this is where we are when we start in our journey with Christ, usually, right? We're captivated by that. And the idea of walking in daily with him makes so much sense until we start getting distracted. And so we got to return to that. We have to be reminded of just how much he loves us. And, and when we get it, and again, that's an act of, that's God's grace in our life. So we ask, God, give me that understanding again. 
then we respond, then we want to seek him, then we want to walk daily. It's hard just to, to command yourself to do it. We, we need to, to have God do that in us. And so that would be my encouragement to you during these moments. Ask for God to just, th- that the grace of God would allow you to be reminded of who Jesus is, how much he loves you, and how much sense it makes to walk with him in a daily way. And so before we uh, eat and drink the juice, uh, I'm going to pray, but I want to then give you a few moments just to talk to God wherever you're at. Maybe it's Thanksgiving, maybe it's confession, uh, but I want to do that here in a few moments. We invite all who have been trusted Jesus as your Savior to join us in this celebration. You, this may be your first Sunday here. Uh, if you're a believer in Jesus, we want you to join us. If, if you didn't grab the little communion cups as you're coming in, you could just slide out the, the doors right now and grab those. If you're watching from home, uh, whatever you have to eat or drink is totally fine. If, uh, if you're here but you haven't yet trusted Jesus, we're so glad you're here. And we would just ask that you would use these moments to consider what we've talked about in terms of who Jesus is, who he is for you. Would you pray with me? Father, in these moments, as we come to the Lord's table and are reminded that that you intervened in our situation, you intervened in our world, and you sent your Son. And Jesus, you gave of yourself. You gave and paid the ultimate price, giving of your life, paying the penalty for our sin. We pray that in these moments, as we reflect on that, that, that... we would once again get how much you love us, how much you've done for us. It would help us return to a consistent daily walk with you. And so, God, in these moments, we pray that you would search our hearts, show us where we're at, pray that your spirit would help us to, 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 uh, to truly talk to you and engage you in these moments. And so I want to give you a moment now just to, to talk to the Father.